This is Mark Stein. After three years in COVID, Stan, it's time to get out of town. So join me on the 2023 Mark Stein Cruise, sailing from Italy to Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Australia, Britain, Europe, and we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along, November 11th, 2002, Armistice Day, Remembrance Day, Veterans Day, and uh, apologies for a touch of the old echo chamber effect, I'm kind of doing this on the hoof, on the roads, I'm not in my own studio, but regardless of that, the format remains the same, including the official recitation of the time zones. It is 4 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That is 5 p.m. in the Canadian Maritimes, half past five in beautiful Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 9 p.m. in London, 10 p.m. in Paris, 11 p.m. in Kiev. And Kiev as well. I heard the echo of Kiev coming back to me before I'd gotten it to the second vowel. Uh, it's midnight in Moscow for all you Kenny Ball fans. Half past midnight in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 5 a.m. in Singapore and Honkers. 8 a.m. in Sydney. 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning in Auckland. And it's lunchtime beyond in America. It is not just Veterans Day, but Election Day plus three. (laughs) Most countries... Most, most functioning societies do not have an election day plus three. That is uh, very American, Americanly exceptional. Uh, not only do we not know the results of individual races in this or that state, I love the way people are getting excited because, uh, you know, they wake up and uh, the Democrats nudged ahead and then the day goes on and the Republican edges ahead. You know, in most in most uh, uh, electoral systems, they don't do that because then the other fellow knows how much they have to steal. That's why they have election day compressed into a few hours with the result announced that day. I mean, I'm just explaining this for the benefit of the moronic commentary I hear uh, from both sides of the uh, political spectrum on American uh, media. Um, but not only do we not know the results of individual races in this or that state, but we do not know who will control the Senate 
or even the house. It's getting on for 72 hours after that red wave came crashing in. And uh, Republicans accept that the Senate's getting a bit iffy, but figure it's safe to assume a narrow House victory. From Politico this morning, the opening sentence, Republicans still have a wider path to the House majority than Democrats, but it's narrowed a lot over the past 24 hours, unquote. Golly, golly, the GOP's path to victory narrowed a lot in the course of election day plus two. You do surprise me. Uh, Memo to uh, Mark Mark Levin and the other Butch boys. While you were bleating about the world's greatest constitution, the Democrats stole your country. So now you have a great constitution and no country to put it to use in. Because the uh, fellows who win the vote... Uh, get to decide the judges who get to decide what the constitution is. The fellas, if you have a, it's no point having a beautiful, beautiful constitution if you have a crap electoral system. Good luck with that. As Kate Smythe uh, reminded us in our comment section uh, just these last few days, two years ago, I said honest elections is a threshold issue without which there's not much point talking about party politics. There really isn't. I can't get over the total bollocks I hear on what's supposed to be conservative media. Now, I I admit I'm a bit of a gloomy gus. When I was on with Mr. Snurdly, I think it was uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said that, uh, um, that, uh, what's the guy in Pennsylvania who lost to the uh, brain-dead guy? Um, Oz. Oz was three points ahead in Pennsylvania. And I said, that's not enough for a Republican to win in Pennsylvania. In the polls, it was three points ahead. If you're three points ahead in the polls in Pennsylvania and you're a Republican, you lose. The other guy, the fellow in Georgia, he was five points ahead. And in the last couple of cycles, if you're a Republican and you're five points ahead in the polls before election day, you lose too. You lose. Honest elections is a threshold issue. Uh, If you don't have honest elections, party politics is a waste of time. The the stupidity, you know, since Rush died, Rush was a great man and I appreciated his greatness at the time. I'm not sure I appreciated quite how great he was until I heard the drivel uh, that has filled the void since Russia's death. But this idea that somehow, uh, just by uh, making clever, cute cracks about some stupid thing that AOC said today, is enough to turn things your way, is pathetic. You know, as I said, good, good, good luck with that. Good luck with that. I mean, I know there's a lot of... Uh, despair in our comment section at the moment, but a bit of honest despair would be better than this stupid, shallow trash that passes for conservative uh, commentary on uh, so much of the media. Oh, what are we going to do? We're going to take your questions. That's how it works here. Anybody 
can listen to the show, all 8 billion of you, if you're really that hot for it. Um, to uh, ask a question, you just have to be a Mark Stein Club member, and we'd certainly appreciate it if you were a Mark Stein Club member. But if you've no desire to ask a question, hold on to your cash. You never know when you might uh, be needing it. Let's see who's first up on deck today. Uh, Douglas says, what do you make? of Conservative Inc. Media's latest attempt at ditching Trump, notably your pal Levin. This would be the aforementioned Mark Levin. I think it's Mark R. Levin was one of the first off the ship. Is that is that true? He's, he's got, what are we now, election day? What did I say it was? Election day plus three, and he's already off the Trump train? Uh, when Trump secures the nomination, he will doubtlessly return to the Trump train, Mark Levin, so as to remain relevant. <laughs> uh, in any event, could Fox News's abandonment of Trump once again make him the outsider, putting him in a position to run a 2016-esque campaign once again? Best, Douglas. Look, that was the problem with the... Uh, on that last point, but I don't think you can do 2016. You can only be 2016 once. And Trump, and actually 2015, that's when he came down the escalator. And uh, if, if you haven't read it, I should think, you know, maybe we'll republish that, that first piece of mine after he came down the escalator. Or And actually, we might do the second one. I think the second piece I wrote about him was after Trump had insulted John McCain. And I, I called it the Super Bowl of Super Holes, because I think that's what the title of the piece was, because they're, bo they're both bleep holes, both these guys. That's a given. McCain, McCain was a total bleep hole, and uh, Trump was a total bleep hole. But the difference between them was Trump had real issues in 2015. He put real issues on the table when he came down and he started talking about Mexico not sending us his best. Now, back then, I don't know, Douglas, and uh, I, I'll take your word for it, that Levin has hopped off the Trump train. He was one of the last on the Trump train. He was a never-Trumper till about five weeks before the election. I know a little bit about this because I had the misfortune to be in business with him at that point in my life, and I used to hear somewhat secure. He, his guy was Ted Cruz. Hannity's guy was Ted Cruz, big on the Constitution. And that's fine. I looked at Ted Cruz, and I didn't think he could possibly win. Uh, no way, no how. No matter, he's good on certain stuff. On some stuff, he's brilliant. But he couldn't win. Uh, with, he, he left large segments of a general audience cold. Uh, that was the decision I made, made on Ted Cruz. I also, frankly, didn't think he was eligible. You know, if the objection to uh, Barack Obama was that he wasn't born in Hawaii, he was born in the coastal hospital at Mombasa in the British colony of Kenya, uh, to an American mother and a father who was a British subject... Uh, then I didn't actually see what the objection, uh, how you could then say that uh, that that uh, Ted Cruz is eligible, because Ted Cruz was born a British subject to an American mother in Canada. There's not, you know, you can't pick and choose about which British subject you want for president. Um, so I didn't think Ted, but all the fellas like Mark Levin 
and Sean Hannity. I'm just saying this because I know some of you like a little bit of the inside baseball and a lot of the rest of you don't, but I'm just giving you the way, the lie of the land. When CRTV started, I was told this after I got into difficulties with CRTV, but I was told that the reason Levin and Katz wanted to launch it was to, they were all hot for Ted Cruz. Uh, and I said, you know, my view was Cruz is going nowhere. But anyway, I used to get complaints when I'd be making Canadian jokes about Ted Cruz. Uh, and like when he won the Iowa caucus and gave that dreadful, dreadful speech that went on forever. And I said on Rush the other day, I said, that's the most that's the worst punishment any Canadian has meted out to Americans since the Newfoundland Fencibles occupied Detroit in the War of 1812. <laughs> and Le, Levin, I got a message from Carrie Katz, the head honcho at CRTV, that Levin didn't want me doing Canadian jokes about Ted Cruz. <laughs> so <laughs> he was one of the last on the Trump train. I'm just, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. He was a cruise man. But, the, but, but he chose, he was a never-Trumper who changed his mind because, uh, for commercial reasons, uh, effectively, a lot of the audience were jump, dumping him because the audience wanted, they didn't care about constitutional this and constitutional that. They wanted a guy who would stop Mexico not sending its best. The wall won for Trump. That was what happened way back in, in... So they were all hot for him in 2016. Now, what happened then is Trump wins the election and uh, he's flattered by the attentions of these people. He was, you know, when he, back when he was uh, still trying to win in Iowa and New Hampshire, he was flattered by my attention. He devoted huge amounts of time to me, as I think I've written about in... Uh, in one place or another, when he was campaigning in New Hampshire, and then he detoured over into Vermont. And then, of course, the minute he, he won, all these people wanted a piece of him, and so he started hanging out with Mark Levin and Sean Hannity, and, uh, well, he, uh, he wound up losing in 2020. And uh, I think he spent... Th there's reasons why he lost, which is that in six key states shenanigans as you fellas call it it's a bit of a euphemism but that seems to be the term shenanigans went on but there were also stupid there were also stupid errors he made he fought a bad campaign in 2020 and he hung out with all the wrong people by which i mean mark levin and sean hannity sean wasn't quite as slow as levin to get on board the trump train but i was ahead of him i used to do sean's show a lot in in those days and I'd be talking up Trump this and Trump that. And then he sort of moved. He was still a cruise man. And then he moved towards me slightly. Uh, and I well remember the first show he did it in. He had this sort of thesis he wanted to run by me in which it was outsiders who were appealing. And by outsiders, he meant Trump and Cruz because he was still a cruise man. Well, Cruz wasn't really an outsider. I mean, he was in the sense that None of the other senators liked him, but he was still, including those on his own side, but he was still a United States senator. So I don't think that really counts. But that was when Sean began to move toward Trump. And eventually Trump gets elected and then Sean's having dinner with him three nights a week or whatever. And I think the, the big mistake Trump made was swallowing the guff 
from people who were not really on board with the Trump agenda. And now uh, he's in the situation where people who are identified with Trump, like Mark Levin, are now getting off the Trump train as if they were as if they were ever on it. But my 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 pro- I, let me just if we're going to talk about Trump, uh, I I guess well I tell you what I'll do a question I'll come back to Trump I'll come back to Trump in a minute. But basically I, I my position is what it's been since the day after November the 7th or whatever it was in 2020. Like, uh, he's in a unique situation among sitting American presidents. I take, I take it, unless they're all rotten as hell. But he, he uh, as I read those numbers and as I studied those numbers, he won that election and he had it snaffled out from under him because he didn't win it enough. I've gone through these numbers for Pennsylvania and Georgia and places. He didn't because these are crook states. And and when you have these uh, things stretching on for days, then uh, the people who are the best crooks win the election. And Democrats are way ahead on that. But here's, here's what I said in whatever it was, the days and weeks after that election, that... Trump was basically evicted from the White House very unfairly. And there is no more American expression than that wonderful vernacular expression, don't get mad, get even. And I entirely accept the right of Trump to get even. Uh, And I'd like him to get even. I think it would be a great story. And America used to be the place people turned to for great stories. It would be way better than Grover Cleveland because Grover Cleveland was defeated after his first term. And then he came back and won a second term. But for this situation, it would be even better. But as I said, it's very difficult when you're out of office to stay relevant. And I think that's uh, that. That's uh, the, 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 because because if you were in office and you're out of office, you're seen as someone from the past. You're the former this, the former that, and elections are ultimately about the future. And that's that's one of the problems he had. That's a tone. That's a tone thing. It's nothing to do with who he is or what his policies are. It would be the same if he were a left-wing Democrat in similar situations. It's just difficult. It's difficult, and I've said that for a lot of time. Michael Toloka, I hope I've pronounced that uh, properly, says, "What do you think about most of the quote conservative media talking about electoral politics for the presidential election in 2024? Why do you waste your time?" You know, I can't, I, people say to me, well, why did you take the GB News thing? Well, because we're in that cycle now. After what happened after the, I couldn't bear it. I didn't want to go on Fox. Um, Rupert has, people keep going on about, you know, Fox has changed in the last couple of days. They're really off Trumper. All, it's something to do with that. Rupert Murdoch. Uh, didn't like the idea of being yoked to Trump, didn't personally like Trump, didn't like being called at two in the morning 
uh, or three in the morning London time by Trump bending his ear about some perceived injustice from some bloke on Fox News. So Rupert uh, hasn't liked Trump for a long time and wants his properties to... and didn't like the way, particularly via uh, Messrs Hannity and Levin, Fox had become yoked to Trump's brand. So he doesn't like, he doesn't like, I, one of the things I like about uh, not having to go on Tucker and things anymore is that I can piss all over Rupert because he's got a disaster on his hands right uh, now in London. As you know, we, I was talking about it with Ava Velardinger broke and uh, had a great fun uh, pissing on Rupert live on air. Um, but he, he's decided, that's who's made the decision. That's who's made the decision. Uh, so the so Michael Tullock is saying, why why are we talking about? And so that just to go back to what I said, that was one of the reasons why I was happy to uh, have a call from GB News and get sort of slightly tricked into doing a daily show there because I couldn't bear, as people deduce, there there was there were problems at Fox after the election. I was doing a little bit of guest hosting for Tucker. And uh, I, you notice that certain things they weren't keen to talk about, but if you brought it up, they put something in there for you to go on about it. Uh, and I, I never, 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 never referred to him as President Biden, Joe Biden, because I didn't think he was the president. So I always called him Joe Biden, then maybe on second reference, Mr. Biden, but never President Biden. But we were all supposed to pretend that he was actually. And I just thought, this country this country is a bloody joke. It's got a corrupt election system. With the, the fact of the matter is, once it's gone to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth day, whoever eventually is declared the winner, you can never be sure they are the winner. Because that's not how elections are won in countries that have election integrity. It's total crap. But people, as uh, Michael Tulloka has pointed out, and as Kate Smythe and other pointed out, oh, well, yes. So here we go again with what, what the conservative establishment did in the, the, uh, November 2020. Well, well, you know, uh, or, or the, 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 uh, yeah, the red wave didn't come in, but uh, the Democrats are going to overplay their hand now and what it likely means is uh, they'll so overplay their hand, they'll let Biden run for a second term, even though he'll be, who knows what his cognitive state will be then. And so this sets us up, this fiasco sets us up really well for the next fiasco. I don't know how anybody more sentient than an earthworm, how many times you have to go through that? I can understand being excited about that when you're 19, when you're 23, and yet, but when you've gone through 10, 20, 30, 40, 70 of these cycles, <laughs> how the hell can you fall for that every time? Anyway, Michael Tulloch goes on. Uh, the media talk about electoral politics for the presidential election in 2024, while Democrats are in the process of stealing elections right now in Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, and California. Yeah, I, I, I think we said this uh, earlier when I was uh, announced, when I announced today's Q&A, that 
the, in Arizona, they're pledging, the poll workers are pledging to work through Thanksgiving. That's how dedicated they are. I, I, I find it hard to keep up with all these American dates, but Election Day is on a Tuesday at the beginning of November, is that right? And then Thanksgiving is on a Thursday at the end of November, is that right? Okay, that's, you know, in the United Kingdom, that would be, they would be in two different prime ministerial terms. But, but, but at the end, on the Thursday at the end of the no, oh, November in Arizona, they're still pledging to be counting the votes from the Tuesday at the beginning of November. That's corruption. That's corruption. And Michael Tolocker is quite right to point out that there should be no reason to move on. This is, this is the thing. Look at, look at it. Look how it's going day by day, right? The Democrats have not given up the idea uh, of holding the House. Because they're thinking, yeah, you know, it's uh, the Republicans have to win so many seats. And actually, once they get to like boring seats held by congressmen you've never heard of, the people's attention starts. So it's very hard to stay focused on a five, six week election. You know, all these people talking about Kevin McCarthy in the speaker's chair. I don't know. Old Nance could yet pull it out. And be back in business, gaveling in another Congress in January. Why does the conservative... I haven't even got through Michael's question yet. Why does the conservative media always take the mainstream media narrative at face value? Yeah, it's again, it's transparent rubbish. John King. I saw this clip of John King on CNN. I can't believe... He's one of these boring guys who is so boring that he never gets fired, even though his ratings always stink. Uh, he just sort of cruises on decade in, decade out. That's what they like. Doesn't threaten the advertisers. So on CNN, he's been boring the pants off people at airport gates uh, for a third of a century. And he was saying, he was deploring the way people mock, mocking the, uh, Ari the Arizona Secretary of Shenanigans saying that they were fully committed to counting all the way through Thanksgiving. They're hard, so hard working. These people, they come in at 10, they go home at 4, and they're prepared to keep doing that on Thanksgiving Day itself. And he said, we shouldn't mock them because they're doing their job and they're doing it right. He actually said this, they're doing their job and they're doing it right. He actually said it on television. No, they're not. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. There were come and you people say, oh well, yeah, but Norway, they they've only got four or five million people, whatever it is. Okay, well, what about India? They got like a billion people. And they can do it. There this is not a system that any uh, that that any uh, self-respecting country would and why do you pretend it's real? Which, again, gets to Michael. Why does the conservative media always take the mainstream media narrative at face value? Shiny nickel here and shiny dime there, and they all follow like lemmings. It's one of the things I miss most about Rush. Everyone would be talking about something, and he would point out the actual important thing that they want you to ignore. Yeah, I've actually said this a couple of times just in the last week in connection with 
climate change and various other things that generally speaking when all the media and all the important people are talking about one thing that's usually the one thing that you shouldn't be talking about because its existence is intended to deflect you from what you should be talking about and right now and and rush i miss every day because he wasn't he didn't just string three hours out of you know making fun of what some a you know aoc or whoever it is uh let's point out the stupidity of aoc let's point out the hypocrisy of nancy pelosi let's point out yeah and then uh, and then we'll take a break we'll take a break for one week two weeks three weeks however long it takes arizona every two weeks our conservative media model of pointing out the hypocrisy of nancy pelosi pointing out the stupidity of aoc uh, will take three weeks off every two years while they count the votes in arizona and we lose again and then after they finish counting the votes and determine that we're losing again we'll go back to this shallow trivial tripe that passes for conservative commentary. Chris Hall says, forgive me if you already addressed this on GB News, but do you think that Trump is playing four-dimensional chess with his remarks about DeSantis and Youngkin, or is he just becoming a crotchety, thin-skinned old man? Yeah, the, this is the... Well, uh, he is thin-skinned, and it is personal with him, and he's not terribly the thing about trump is all his defects are exactly what they were seven years ago when he came down the escalator what he had though were great virtues particularly on the wall and immigration go back and read the first piece i wrote about trump in the summer of 2015 i think that was july of 2015 it was about three weeks after he'd come down the escalator and we'd had all the crap, you know, don't forget, if, you're, if you live in New Hampshire, you get all the garbage early because you get uh, all, the, all the ads on Channel 9. So you get the candidates doing the soft focus message framing. You, you, you get the biography, which is tedious as hell. So you get John Kasich doing his... I'm proud to say I was the son of a mailman when, in fact, he's a Lehman brother. Uh, so he's doing his son of a mailman routine. You get Marco Rubio calling for a second American century. You know, again, totally irrelevant because most people just want the, what remains of their lives to be less crap. Uh, so we had, all the, and we had all this rubbish and from the professional politicians and it was the non-politician who introduced the one great issue into the usual republican you know it's like a beauty contest for exceptionally ugly people uh, and it was trump who the non-politician was the only one who actually introduced an issue and then you know people carl rove who people don't like him but he isn't an idiot and so Karl Rove was then saying, yes, of course, yes, yes, well, you know, I think people should talk about immigration, but I think uh, they should, people need to talk about it in a more inclusive way. Okay, that's Karl Rove recognizing that Trump's stolen their little private parlor game away from them. That was Trump in 2015. Now, Chris Hall 
I don't think it's four-dimensional. You know, the other thing I think is people do... Uh, it's very hard to be... It's very hard to be uh, a, a, a scrappy insurgent twice over when you've been on the national stage the way Trump has for seven years. And you see it when he calls Ron DeSantis Ron DeSanctimonious. That's never going to work. It's not like low-energy Jeb. Low-energy Jeb was brilliant. He was the leading candidate in the primary. And Trump took him out with an adjective. He, had, he was low energy. He had nothing going for him. He had no reason to run for president other than that he was the son and the brother of the previous presidents. Uh, and, and, and he deduced, as very few other people would, that America, a nation of 300 million people, was crying out for a, a third Bush presidency within a quarter century. Uh, and, and, he was, and he was crap. And he was no good. He was low energy. And the, that fantastic thing when Barbara Bush, he, because he's such a dud, he's so unpopular, uh, when he was with an audience, I think that was in Hanover, New Hampshire, and he'd finished enthusing the crowd, uh, which is a contradiction in terms with Jed Bush, and, and then he actually got to the end of his applause line and there was no applause, and he said, please clap. So he, went, he goes along to a school and he knows he's not popular, so he brings his mother along, Barbara Bush. And they're coming out of the school and someone takes a picture of Barbara Bush and Jeb. Barbara Bush, all brisk and businesslike, leading little Jebby out of the New Hampshire grade school. And somebody puts a caption on it, Mrs. Bush and her little boy Jeb at the parent-teacher meeting. <laughs> whatever it was. You know, Trump was brilliant. Took him out. Low energy Jeb. Brilliant. Uh, Ronda Sanctimonious isn't going anywhere. It's a, it's a, you know, a dud line. And I don't care. I'm not a DeSantis guy. Uh, but it doesn't, it's no good. As a joke, it's crap. It's not lethal in the way that low energy Jeb was or crooked Hillary was. And again, I'll, I'll just put it in showbiz terms. I, I adored uh, Sarah Palin when she appeared on the national scene. And I went to see her uh, with, uh, I can't remember who else was there. I think it was one of the Sununu guys, whichever one it was, uh, down in southern New Hampshire and the Lakes region somewhere. And, and Sarah Palin, I just heard a little bit too many of the lines before. And I said she needed new material. And uh, I offered, you know, I offered... I'd, I'd, I've always enjoyed Sarah Palin's company. I think she's got a great personality and all the rest. So she just needed a little wider range of material. And uh, the guys, the clever guys who ran her campaign didn't think so. I think Trump needs a wider range of material. And I'll say this. As I said, I would love it because it's such a great story if he were to come back in 2024 and take out the ass who deprived him of his second term. It would be a fantastic American story. Um, uh, the most American story at all, don't get mad, get even. But he's not going to do it 
doing it with these rallies, playing to the base. He might write. I mean, I gather he's got some announcement next week, and he's saying if you if you give him five bucks, you can be in the draw for the first person he'll uh, greet after his announcement or whatever it is. He can raise money. He can raise five bucks off a shrinking base doing that. But he needs something else. He's not going to get it from Jared. He's not going to get it from Levin. He need elections are about the future and he and we need a Trump if you want Trump back it's going to have to be a Trump 2.2.0. Um and uh it doesn't matter if he's a... And I say this, I think I've talked about this before. I, um, I was offered one worthless little bauble during the Trump administration. And I was mildly annoyed by it because it's <laughs> well beneath my talents. But I felt, oh, God, well, you know, when you ask by the president, you don't really have a choice about it. So I agreed to allow my name to be submitted. And then, of course, what happened was you know, uh, somebody somewhere along the line, some wanker uh, inside the administration decided I might be a little too hot uh, for for this totally insignificant post. So I was kind of, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed, about, but I don't really care about, I don't care about anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm objective, I've, I have such little interest in that that it doesn't really mean anything to me. And I'm not interested in, like Sean in having dinner with him three nights a week, like Sean Hannity. I'm simply saying, I'm looking at it uh, with my old uh, dramaturge's hat on, because I, I, so I'm saying the same thing I, I would have said when I'd be standing at the back of a theatre with my dear friend uh, Nika Burns, who's one of, uh, uh, who I think is whatever she is, the second biggest theatre owner in London now, and we'd be watching the second act, and I'd be saying, well, you need this, 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 this. Right now, we're not even at that stage, because Trump hasn't got a second act. Everyone saw the curtain come down on the first act and went to the bar, and Trump is still doing the first act. He needs a second act. I'm saying that as someone who likes revenge tragedy and wants him to do one and wants him to go full counter Monte Cristo on Joe Biden and the Democrats. But he's not going to do it with these rallies and the other wanker stuff. Uh, Simon Arnold says, hi, Mark, is this the end of Trump? Simon, I think, lives at the far tip of northern Scotland, maybe the far tip of northern Shetland. Maybe the far tip of southern Norway or whatever's beyond that. Anyway, he's a long way up. Uh, Simon R says, hi, Mark, is this the end of Trump? What are the alternatives, if any, to the... No, 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 no. Everybody's getting <laughs> new parties in the race now and two years from now. When was the last decent president? What are the differences between UK Parliament and US senators? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> in... Uh, under the Westminster system, but the continental countries aren't so very different, but they're parliamentary systems in uh, Ottawa and London and Canberra. And what that means is that generally they're instantly responsive, almost in an almost spasmodic way, to the moment. So, you know, oh, Boris is chief whip or whoever the deputy chief whip or assistant deputy under chief whip was groping bottoms at the Carlton Club so boomf Boris has got to go America has a strict rigid calendar 
that sucks all the life out of politics so that you have uh, the guy loses in a presidential year. So then there's all the, well, this sets us up nicely for the midterms. And then the day after the midterms, the presidential season begins. Um, and and uh, the thing about it is not to get faked into what the story here is that something incredible happened. A guy who has destroyed the country, nevertheless, that's Biden, had a, had a fabulous night. There are reasons for that. There are reasons that uh, to do with things that, you know, evidently there are some suburban women or whatever for whom Roe versus Wade is more important than the fact that you can't get baby formula and uh, gases through the roof, and MS-13 gangs are now operating with impunity in your nice little suburb. Um, and then there are other reasons, as, and then there are other reasons, which is that the whole system is a racket. But it's either way, it's nothing to do with Trump. Trump's endorsements, I don't believe, um, mattered here or there to anyone there are candidates who were better than others but but the but that's not what's going on here you know fetterman is in in pennsylvania a guy who not my kind of guy at all i know him a little from uh, sitting in green rooms with him at Fox and Friends and things. But, you know, I didn't think he was a great guy. And I was wary of, you know, how can... He's certainly not conservative enough for me. But like Dr. Oz, if he were a Democrat, he'd be... People would be talking about, oh, he's he'd be the first Muslim senator if he were elected to the United States Senate. Wouldn't that be shattering the glass ceiling? Who is this white man that the Republicans are putting up to run against him? Uh, suddenly, Dr. Oz comes out as a Republican, so he gets no credit for any of the Islamic stuff whatsoever. And uh, it's not even mentioned. And instead, he's running against the guy who is literally brain damaged. And the so all this talk about, oh, Joe Biden's too fit. They're not going to run him for a uh, second term. And uh, what they're probably going to do, because they can't run Kamala, because she's, she's even dumber than he is, and, and, uh, and, uh, and she's half his age, so they can't run her. They're telling you. When a guy like Fetterman wins, when a guy like Biden wins, when President Kamala uh, finishes out Biden's term and then serves two full terms, they're telling you these people actually don't matter. There are forces in play, and there are, and there are people who are put up to front these larger forces in play, and no one seriously believes that Joe Biden, who spent more time in, at his basement at his home than any president has ever, is putting in a full day's work as chief executive of the United States. It's theater. And, and, you, shouldn't, and you shouldn't go along with it. But, and, but, even, but so in agreeing to beat up on Trump, 
you're going you're going along with it you're going along with it true it's stupid all this kind of thing. i i've 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 gotten a bit too far into this uh, trumpy trump thing um let me uh let me just uh, take a breath i'm going to get too i'm going to get too uh, excited uh, about it trumpers trumpers behave badly but you know something i'd behave badly if i'd been through what he has what he needs it's not difficult. What he needs is not Levin waving the Constitution at him. Uh, you know, fair-weather friends who uh, he's flattered because five weeks before Election Day, this guy jumps on the Trump train. No, he should actually have danced with them what brung him, or whatever the stupid expression is. Uh, and, he should, and he should have recognized the value of Trump 2015. Now, what he need? Now, it's different now, and I don't know whether he can pull it out, but he needs an Act 2, and he's not going to get an Act 2 spending his time uh, with, uh, with the people that he's, he's been spending his, uh, spending his uh, time with. Let's have a musical interlude. I need to calm down a bit. I'm going to be... Have I shouted about not waving the Constitution at me yet? I think I sort of did, but I did a bit sotto voce. Didn't get enraged enough. Anyway, it's November 11th, which is, uh, as I said, according to where you happen to be, it's Armistice Day or it's Veterans Day. It's Remembrance Day in the Commonwealth. And here's a song I've played on this day in recent years, and audiences seem to like it. Uh, so I'm going to play it again. I originally played it because its author died of what we used to call the Chinese coronavirus, which actually is more like the U.S. taxpayer-funded uh, coronavirus. Um, uh, but uh, whatever its origins, it got Jim Radford two years ago in 2020. Three quarters of a century earlier, he was, as far as can be determined, the youngest man to participate in the Allied invasion of Normandy. And by man, I mean that on D-Day, June the 6th, 1944, he was 15 years old. And for the 70th anniversaries of, uh, anniversary, for the 70th anniversary of D-Day, uh, 85-year-old Jim was invited onto the stage of the Royal Albert Hall in London to reminisce in music about that day. Tonight we are honoured to have a veteran of the Normandy invasion with us on stage. He was a crew member of a ship that set sail on the 6th of June and at 15 he must have been one of the youngest there. So please welcome Jim Radford. Jim, how... How do you feel today, seeing us all gathered and remembering these events? Contrasting emotions, I think, glad and sad. I'm glad that I survived, I've had 70 years of a good life, and I'm very sad every time I think of D-Day, about all the poor devils who never made it back. And that's the people I'm thinking about on this day and every, every year. After the war, Jim Radford became a folk singer, and at that D-Day 70th anniversary gala at the Albert Hall, he sang the first song he ever wrote. In the cold grey light of the 6th of June, 
in the year of 44. The Empire Lots sailed out from Pooh to join with thousands more. The largest fleet the world had seen we sailed in close array And we set our course For Normandy At the dawning of the day There was not one man In all our crew But knew what lay in store for we had waited for that day Through five long years of war We knew that many would not return But all our hearts were true For we were bound for Normandy Where we had a job to do now the Empire Lodge was a deep-sea tug with a crew of 33 And I was just the galley boy on my first trip to sea I little thought when I left home of the dreadful sights I'd see But I came to manhood on the day that I first saw Normandy At Aramance, off the beach of gold Neath the rocket's deadly glare We towed our block ships into place And we built a harbour there Mid shot and shell, we built it well as history does agree While brave men died In the swirling tide On the shores of Normandy For every hero's name that's known A thousand died as well On stakes and wires their bodies hung Rocked in the ocean swell And many a mother wept that day For the sons they loved so well Many cracked a joke And catch the smoke As they stormed the gates of hell As the years pass by I can still recall the men I saw that day Who died upon that blood-soaked sand Where now sweet children play And those of you who were unborn Who've lived in liberty Remember those who made it so on the shores of Normandy
Men who cracked a joke and cadged a smoke as they stormed the gates of hell. It's not the greatest tune, but that is a sharp and vivid couplet full of life as those men storming hell that dawn surely were. And among them was a 15-year-old boy who was a 15-year-old man. He survived D-Day, but he did not survive the Wuhan coronavirus, which got him at the age of 92. The youngest known member of the Allied Invasion Force on June the 6th, 1944, Jim Radford. And that song... The year before his death, that song, The Shores of Normandy, hit number one on the Amazon download chart on the 75th anniversary of D-Day in 2019. Let's get back to your questions, which are all somewhat (laughs) frustratingly focused on the reality of the Heike Heino writes, Mark, it seems that Republicans got six million more votes than the Democrats, but the Democrats won many key races, like the brain dead Fetterman in Pennsylvania. How come? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't that? They actually did win six million more votes, the Republicans, but in the places where it mattered, Democrats, you know, there's votes that are un, that are, are are not necessary. You know that if you're the umpteenth vote for Senator Dianne Feinstein in California, she doesn't really need that. Um, but there are votes. There are places where votes are more crucial. There, generally speaking, blue cities in what would otherwise be red states, such as Pennsylvania or whatever. And funnily enough, in all those places where every vote is crucial, like in those blue cities in red states, uh, the Democrats seem to, they're the ones where the counting goes on for days, weeks, whatever it takes. And they're the ones where the familiar, I made a joke, I made a joke about this on the, whatever it was, the Tuesday night, I think it was London time on GB News. I said, it's the thing, it's 10 o'clock local time, Eastern Central Mountain, and you go to bed with the guy uh, far ahead and your Republican guy far ahead and then you wake up in the morning and find that, you know, three in the morning, another whole big bunch. You know, it's the only, I can't stand, I, I honestly, I'm so sick of the stupidity of the moron right. I said it on Rush. I said it on Rush. And I had people call, I had South Africans, Canadians, all kinds of people would call, oh, Ma, I, uh, I'm a bit like you, I uh, emigrated to this uh, country three years ago, and I couldn't get over it, because when I was uh, voting in Cape Town, or I was voting in Moose Jaw, or, or, or I was voting in Cloncurry, I'd go along and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then... They describe the American system. And the worst thing is, you have, like in the, in the Westminster system, you have a returning officer. You don't know this. The thing is, it's not meant to be like a race where you see every lap of the track, if it's Formula One or if it's a horse race or whatever. So you're not meant to, you're, you're, not, you're not meant to see, oh, look, the guy's uh, car number three has taken the lead. Uh, in the uh, Monte Carlo Grand Prix, uh, but uh, but look, uh, car number seven's coming up on the inside, right? It's not meant to be like that. You hold the vote. The polls close at 7 p.m. 
and round about 8, 9, 10 p.m., in, if it's the Westminster system, a guy called the returning officer, who isn't the least, often he's just some local alderman or some slightly obsolete type of character, he, sta- he gets up on a stage and all the other people are lined up, in often in alphabetical order, so that Mrs. Thatcher will be standing next to Screaming Lord Such or some other loony character. Boris Johnson, I think, was stood next to uh, 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 Lord Buckethead, who a man who wears a bucket on his head, and Lord Buckethead got two votes, and uh, Boris got you know however many thousand votes, and was duly elected. But you don't know beforehand. They don't give you provisional numbers, because what do provisional? I mean, it is so crap. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go bananas here, and I'm gonna uh, but. What does that... So provisional numbers tell you where the guy is coming up short. Okay? So it tells him, oh, look here, the uh, the um, uh, the Republican guy is 10,000 votes ahead and, uh, and, and it looks like it's mainly rural counties still to come in. Uh, so we've got to find, and they're going to they're going to keep him in the lead. So we got to find somehow in the city we got to find another ten thousand votes. That that's why you shouldn't do that. Now we've made it even more stupid now. And again, the moron right. Send money now to sendmoneynow.com. Never ever talks about this. How can we make that already bad system even worse? Oh, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll shut down counting for the night oh well it's 10 o'clock everyone's a bit tuckered out so we're all going home and uh, the democrat guy is 8,000 votes short well now you've artificially halted the process and freed up everybody to go get those 8,000 votes there's a reason and again the wanker right oh we've got the greatest constitution in the world yeah but it doesn't matter because you've got the crappiest election system in the world and actually uh, it's not a competitive thing let's stipulate that uh, the entirety of western civilization right now is sliding off the cliff actually in remarkably similar ways so that it doesn't matter whether you're a thousand year old constitutional monarchy uh, or whether you're a uh, 250-year-old constitutional republic, you've still got open borders on your southern frontier that anyone can just walk in on. So there's not a lot of difference between anything. You're, you're all going to hell, and, uh, and uh, we're talking mainly, for the most part, about detail at the edges as to who's getting to the cliff edge and falling off first. That's stipulated. But never to hear these things talked about. I listen to, I can't bear to listen to most talk radio. I listen to Howie Carr because Howie makes me laugh. Um, but Howie is, is, can be too much of an optimist sometimes. Uh, he reads these polls and he, and, he, and he looks at where Democrats are campaigning. And he thinks that there is some genuinely red wave. There could for all we know, be all kinds of things happening. But it doesn't matter if the system is corrupt. Pete Procopio writes, Mark, I know you share my disgust and disinterest of election analysis. I think you mean uninterest here. 
The thing is about professional election analysis, Pete, is that when people are just talking about this or that candidate or that, you've got a uh, you've got a threshold issue here. It's like it's like uh, f- you know family court. Say, let's go. Let's talk about uh, the courthouse, your county courthouse. Would you go and? Uh, and uh, would you would you go and have your divorce done in a county courthouse where the judge is best buddies with your uh, hopefully soon to be ex-wife's lawyer? And no, because in that situation, the judge is meant to recuse himself so that things like that there is no appearance of conflict of interest there is no similar uh, and and that's a fairly obvious example i recall a case at the new hampshire supreme court where one of the judges on the supreme court recused himself from a case because one of several lawyers of one of the parties um he had once written an introduction for some law book that woman had written 30 years earlier Okay, that that I think would be a closer call, but he felt the uh, the uh, the appearance of impropriety was sufficient that he couldn't afford to, you know, to be associated. Now we don't have. There's no. There's nothing. That's the courthouse because uh, the courthouse is important, and being seen to adjudicate things fairly is important. There's no such similar thing goes on uh, in the counting house in the polling station, where, again, the appearance of propriety is just as important. So Pete says, I just can't understand why so many feel compelled to dissect and extrapolate meaning and motive from a completely corrupt process. That being said, and assuming that most of the conservative intelligentsia are coming to their opinions honestly, how is it possible that they are so obtuse? Since Tuesday, I have read and listened to so many Republican gurus break down the election results as A, Trump's Trump's fault, a failed process, low-quality candidates, abortion, messaging, blah, blah, blah. And while some of these are valid points in specific circumstances, simply put, we have lost the culture. The fact that we still don't know the official tally is a reflection of the absurdity of this discussion. Debating whether 15 weeks of abortion or what exceptions are allowed, or if Herschel Walker is a better candidate than Fetterman or Biden, are not relevant to winning elections. Once again, we find ourselves rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. We have lost our faith. We have surrendered our schools and we have lost our culture. Am I missing something? No, again, it's something I've said for, uh, you know, all, all this century that you can't have conservative government in a liberal culture. Basically, since Reagan, you know, people say, why can't we have a, what we're looking, I, I read this from sensible people, talk, people talking about, oh, Reagan's victory in a re-election in 1984, he won 49 states, that's the kind of candidate we need, so that we don't have to worry about it coming down to two or three precincts in Pennsylvania, uh, because even if Pennsylvania does go south, we've, uh, we've got the 49 others, are you out of your mind, it's not the same country. When Reagan was elected 
re-elected in 1984, we were not yet two decades into the uh, in 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 into the uh, Immigration Act that had begun the process of basically importing Democrat voters on a huge scale. You know, these are the mythical. Uh, the, uh, the 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 mythical uh, conservative Hispanics that uh, that Republican consultants are always in pursuit of, and there's some there more there are some of them, and you can do very well among them. Uh, comparatively, uh, in in the sense that you know you can get thirty percent instead of getting twelve percent, but that still means that you're importing more Democrat voters. A lot of Republicans are extremely bad at arithmetic, basic arithmetic. And then what, but then what happened? In the, so there's no Reagan. It's a completely demographically transformed country. And, a, and, and just as Reagan couldn't get elected as governor of California, so no one would never have, ever have heard of Ronald Reagan today unless they liked his movies... Um, and he'd be doing cameos in uh, Harry Potter or whatever. Uh, that that that's that's not going to happen because because of what's happened away from politics and what happened in the Reagan years. Reagan and then after ninety two, when Republicans took that, re Republicans became very focused. Conservatives became very focused on dragging the guy with the R after his name over the finish line every other November. Meanwhile, Democrats were free, had every other societal lever all to themselves. How do you think that's going to wind up when Republic send money now to sendmoneynow.com and we can, uh, and we can uh, drag this worthless husk of an unprincipled phony over the finish line uh, on a Tuesday in November. Ah, oh, okay, that's great. That's taking care of Tuesdays in November. What about Wednesdays in March? Uh, what about Fridays in July? What about Mondays in October? Oh, we're not interested in any of that. We're leaving all that to the Democrats. They can have a free hand on that. How do you think that's going to go? How do you think that's going to go? You're being made a fool of. The state of Arizona telling you that they're prepared to work through Thanksgiving is brazenness of a kind that, you know, people joke about the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact. They pretended to have free elections and they went to the trouble of organizing things. You know, they had, uh, they'd have, you know, the com it, was, uh, it was preordained that the Communist Party would win, but they'd often be like a, a, a little alternative type, nothing loser, designated loser, uh, that they'd let uh, run against them in, um, in Poland and uh, I think in East Germany they had won them too. And those guys, you know, would... Those guys' job was to lose every time because the system was rigged. Well, how's it looking in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Um, Pete concludes, uh, we have lost our faith, we have surrendered our schools, and we have lost our culture. If you're not... most, Why do you think things become issues? Uh, 
transgender sports doesn't become an issue. Same-sex marriage doesn't become an issue because some politician brings it up. By the time a Democrat politician is talking about same-sex marriage, it's a fait accompli because all the nice, cuddly people on the sitcoms and everything have been, have been talking about it. Uh, so, so again... I think we need, you know, if I was, if I was, if, if I was American in the lifelong sense, in other words, if I had been listening to talk radio in America since the 1980s, I would beginning to think, wait a minute, the guy's telling me what the Republican Party needs to do. Someone should also be telling them what to do because conservative media, I can see it's great. It enables, you know, some blowhard to live a nice life in a gated community. And even if he, if he does even better than that, maybe to get a, a private plane to fly around in, whatever. It works out very well for him. But what's it actually doing? Uh, what is this, you know, making jokes about AOC uh, for three hours a day, to the exclusion of actually doing any... I mean, the, the, the conservative media approach needs rethinking. It's too narrow, too narrow. Uh, Kelton says, Hello, Mark. You answered a couple of questions about COVID amnesty during last week's Q&A, and it left me asking myself more questions. A desire for amnesty requires a fear of prosecution and belief that it is imminent. Does anybody, particularly those responsible for COVID mandates, really believe that there will be punishment for those actions? Nothing is as it seems these days. <laughs> and I would like some help on this one. Uh unless this is just another distraction, or am I making something out of nothing? I think it is largely a bit of a distraction. You're right, of course, that amnesty is is something you offer someone who's otherwise looking at a long sentence in the slammer. And I would love, I certainly think there is enough prima facie evidence for criminal investigation of politicians and public health officials in the United States, in the United Kingdom, in the Dominion of Canada, in Australia, in many European countries. The, the question then is, the I mean, we, and we know that, you know, as we see, like the January 6th guys have been held, uh, you know, for two years now. And there's all the talk about prosecuting Trump for whatever it is. There is, there is actually, I think, I would love to see some people go to jail for what they did. It has led to people being, it's led, it's led to corpses. It's led to dead people, large numbers of dead people. But uh, I don't think, I don't think it, I think they're just using that as an appeal. And again, it's to cement the new narrative of, oh, well, there's blame on both sides and none of us really knew anything back, way back in February 2020, none of us really knew anything about this stuff. Uh, that may be true in February 2020, but, you know, a lot of people wised up by, you know, late March, April, uh, early June 2020, and you guys are still, still mandated. There's a thing here, there was some headline I just saw, I think it was this morning, that the COVID booster has been found 
to cause heart damage, according to a peer-reviewed paper. But don't worry, because it's, uh, your heart damage apparently clears up very quickly. So it's not like it's, so it's like just temporary heart damage, and then mysteriously the heart just perks right up again. You know, I think uh, th there's not, they want, they want, they're not going to admit, because they like the model. The model of how they governed us during COVID is what they want. And if you look at it, for example, there's no COVID now. I think the COVID fatality rates are 90% lower uh, than what they were at the beginning of the year. So the COVID has gone away. But why, are we, why have we spent an hour talking about the uh, US midterms and the red wave that wasn't? Because the COVID has gone, but the COVID electoral system is in place now and forever. Philip Porstian writes, Dear Mr. Sion, do you see any hope that Trump will, would announce that the vaccines were a mistake and he was misled by the health establishment in the US government? Do you see any hope for Bentley <laughs> to survive as a brand anyone would aspire to owning once they go to all electric? Why would you want an electric Bentley? It's like is it is this a thing now they they're going to have a hybrid rolls are they uh <laughs> i don't know thank you for your good humor says philip in the face of ongoing civilizational collapse i think it's difficult for trump because it's more likely i think that if they ever did admit that are oh, these they we're so sorry we had no idea these vaccines can kill you these vaccines will wreck your life. They're particularly bad for young men. They're disastrous for kids. They don't actually do anything. Uh, we should have followed our instincts and recognized that anything that Trump cooked up wasn't going to work. They're more likely to go back to what they were saying then. Remember back when uh, uh, Kamala said, I ain't going to be taking any vaccine that this guy has been whipping up in the Oval Office. I was working in my lab late one night uh, and he came up with the COVID vaccine. <laughs> He's in a dip. You know, the COVID sums up, and this is, gets into the Ron DeSantis thing, because Ron DeSantis, he's, he, Trump really loathes the way DeSantis can now preen and posture as the champion of liberty from Florida, the free state. And what is interesting to me about that awful, and I'm not saying anything I did, I waited till January the 6th to say, I said during that long summer that the campaign was crap, the people on it, like that guy who had the fantastic water, wound up with the fantastic waterfront property, uh, whatever, Brad, Brad Parsehole, or whatever the guy was called, got into trouble for attacking Brad Parsehole by some other Republican consultant. It was a terrible campaign. So this is a guy who, in the summer of George Floyd, ends up in his first or second debate, or whatever it was, with Biden, boasting about all the guys he's let out of prison. He keeps tweeting, law and order, exclamation, and then he goes on stage with Joe Biden, starts boasting about all the criminals he's let out of prison under the stupid thing of Jared and Ivanka's thing. It was a terrible campaign. 
compared to 2015 when he didn't... And again, this is the lesson. 2015, it was just Trump and that nice young lady who was his secretary and Corey Lewandowski. So Trump comes down the escalator and starts being Trump. 2020, he's got all the Republican professional types around him and thinking that what people really want after the summer of George Floyd is uh, letting more people out of prison. It was just a disaster, that campaign. As I said, uh, the COVID, the vaccine, his... That when he was on stage a few weeks ago and they were booing, he said, and of course I came up with the vaccines and people booed him, symbolizes, the COVID vaccine thing symbolizes what became a Trump between Trump coming down that escalator in 2015 and Trump in 2020. So he got captured. The only conservative voices he listened to were the Hannity, Levin types. That was a big mistake. Big mistake. And then... He uh, gets, uh, then he gets all this uh, Ivanka Jared stuff. So thinking that people, you know, the George Floyd thing, people want more criminal. They don't feel they're enough criminal. We have a new member. Ian says, I've just signed up after listening for many years. Given the pound dollar exchange rate, I probably couldn't have timed it was. It's very interesting to me. I did this just as like a throwaway line that the pound, the dollar, and the euro are all... I mean, basically, now it's one pound is one euro is one dollar. They've all converged, almost as if it's just going to make it much easier when Klaus Schwab, Klaus Schwab, the sinister Teutonic megalomaniac hiding in plain sight as a sinister Teutonic megalomaniac, decides to introduce the digital Schwab buck, uh, or the Schwab mark that we're all going to have to uh, live under. Uh, but Ian, we're glad to have you along, and thank you for making the financial sac sacrifice. Let's try and see if we can uh, get you to come on the cruise too, because the crew, no one's ever complained the cruise is bad value. I'm delighted how many people uh, have already signed up for the cruise, particularly so many old friends, but we always like to see new faces too. My question is about the state of the UK right now. You're in London a fair bit at the moment, I think, for GB News. What's your sense of where we are as a country? I'm in my late 30s, so perhaps have a shorter perspective than some, but I feel people don't grasp how much of a mess we're in. Supermarkets regularly don't have basic products. Restaurants often don't have numerous items on the menu. Trains often don't run. In parts of the north, it's like they've just given up pretending they provide a surface. Uh, nurses are going on strike. Midwives next, apparently. Almost every interaction one has with businesses, or worse, the state, is defined by people who don't know how to do or are unwilling to do their jobs. It's like, as a country, we've just stopped trying and decided to half ass it all. I don't know how much of that can be pinned on lockdown, but it didn't feel this bad three, four years ago. And that's not to mention how much the UK has changed since I was a kid in the 90s. Four in ten people in London weren't born here, I think that's right. I think it's actually a little more than that. Uh, the demographic change is huge, but most people don't want to talk about it in any way. Immigration is a hot bottom, button, hot bottom subject. Uh, immigration is a... <laughs> don't go there. Immigration is a hot button subject when it's praising the contributions of Raheem Sterling 
or Emma Radu Kanu. Uh, the Queen, the Queen liked young Emma, but not on the agenda when Salman Abedi and Shamima Begum come up. A combination of people who can't, won't do their jobs, and people who have no meaningful attachment to the country doesn't look bode well. But I'm keen for your thoughts, having lived in the U.S. for some time. I I mourn. I I miss all the all these countries. I miss the the Montreal I first lived in as a teenager. I miss the London I knew as a young man. I miss the south of France of my childhood memories because my parents uh, loved my father particularly loved the south of France and ran wound up living there. And I make the point that I made earlier, we're all heading in the same way. We've, we have somehow agreed that it is necessary for us to... Do, all this nation of immigrants stuff, which is an American thing from that crap-ass poem stapled to a bloody great French statue. You know, the, uh, as I said at the Monk debate, the French gave America a, a great statue of liberty... And uh, and the Yanks turned it into a lousy statue of immigration. Liberty shining out to the world. The torch uh, held out to the world to say to the world, look at what we're doing here. You do it in your countries for your people. Uh, and somehow that became a statue of immigration. And, and dissolving the national identity of America, of Canada, of Australia, of New Zealand, of France, of Belgium, of Germany, of Italy, of Sweden, on and on and on, is the single worst decision anybody ever made, except nobody really did make it. They just started doing it. All the political parties were in favor of it. And this is why Again, I'll always love Trump for this. Trump is the biggest asshole on the planet, apart from John McCain, as I said in that piece seven years ago. But Trump actually said, no, no, actually, people don't want this. It's, want this. it's screwing her. No, people don't want fentanyl. People don't want MS-13. People don't want what's happening. And this is why we talk about it. In, I'm always astonished. We talk about it in the UK when I'm on GB News. Uh, because I don't, uh, because what's happening with these so-called asylum seekers is horrible. All parties are in favour of it. All parties are in favour of the remorseless dissolution of British identity, by which I mean English, Scottish, half the Irish and the Welsh identity, out of deference to my Irish Republican friends. And the uh, and and that I think is a tragedy. I, I I did a really heartfelt thing. I just in response, just improvised it in response to some comment. I will really miss Britain when it's gone. I already miss Canada. the 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 vision of of Canada I hold is a nation that no longer exists. And that was confirmed by Trudeau's actions just these last couple of years. Likewise, you know, somewhere 
some somewhere inside me, uh, when I think of France, I'm always on the Route Nationale set, sitting next to my sister with my mum and dad in the front seat, and uh, he's got the hood of the car down, and he likes to press the windshield washer so it shoots up over their heads and squirts me and my sister in the back. And Charles Trenet is singing that wonderful song about the Route Nationale set on on the radio as we drive down that road uh, in in France. And that's what... I, I'm. It's not a nostalgia thing. There are things... Some, sometimes, you know, it'd be quite nice to walk into a pub and hear some Victorian parlour ballads. But you don't, because... Trends change, times change, tastes change. But this is something else. It's where the ruling class uh, basically set out. Literally, I mean, literally, the history of Britain is summed up by Sir Winston Churchill and his uh, grandson, uh, Veronica, from New Zealand. We, it came up on TV this week. Um, but Veronica fleshed it out. And his grandson, the On Rupert Soames. So Sir Winston Churchill, the guy who at the hinge moment of history led the British Empire after the fall of France as it stood alone among free nations of the planet against uh, the Third Reich until, until Pearl Harbor. And then what's his grandson doing? His grandson is the chief executive officer of Serco, which is running, making a fortune out of all this immigration flim-flam. That's the history of Britain in uh, three generations of the same family. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. We've gone on a little longer than I should have, cause, uh, and I apologize again for the, uh, the slightly off-sound quality, but I thank you all. Uh, for those questions. We always end with a little music before we close things out, but do stick with Stein Online this weekend for the 100 Years Ago show for Rick McGuinness's movie pick for Stein Song of the Week. Uh, we've got a lot more from our 20th anniversary stroll through the archives, and we have a special edition of the Mark Stein Show. And if you haven't yet swung over there, do check the return of the Mark Stein Cruise. It's going to be great fun. We have Mr. Snurdly himself from the Rush Limbaugh show. And uh, we have uh, also, we have John O'Sullivan and Michelle Bachman, one of my favorite presidential candidates of uh, recent cycles. And we have uh, Ava Velardingerbrook uh, and Alexandra Marshall from the Mark Stein show. Uh, and I hope you'll want to come and join us uh, because people appreciate the camaraderie. And that is particularly true for those of you who happen to live in deep blue states. Most of you know, uh, on this Armistice Day, Remembrance Day, Veterans Day, that my favorite song of the Great War is Roses of Picardy. Um, words by Fred Weatherly, KC, King's Council. As we now say again, my friend Julian Porter in Toronto, who did that magnificent uh, address at the Human Rights Trial in Vancouver. Julian Porter QC is now Julian Porter KC. He's going to have to change his website URL. 
but Fred Weatherly was a King's Counsel. He was a barrister who also wrote songs, and his songs were very popular. I shall cite just the one, Danny Boy. Danny Boy. He was a barrister, and he wrote that in his spare time. Mr. Weatherly's Words for Roses of Picardy were set to music by Hayden Wood. I love the English words. I love the French words. In fact, I've made a record of both with my friend Monique Fauteuil. But today, I think I will leave it to Mr. Wood's transporting music. Ernest Tomlinson conducts the Slovak Radio Symphony Orchestra.
Maidenwood's music for Roses of Picardy sounds Fred Weatherly's lovely words. The roses will die with the summertime and our roads may be far apart. But there's one rose that dies not in Picardy. It's the rose that I keep in my heart. And that's the way I feel Just to go back to what we were talking about earlier, about a lost England and a lost Canada and so many other places that I will always hold in my heart on this Remembrance Day and through all the days. Stay safe, stay free. Ultimately, we were unworthy of their sacrifice, but at the going down of the sun, we shall remember them. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.